wants to know what he's thinking. Bright Man! Attention, citizens of Atlantis. It is allegedly football season. And because of this, it's time to talk about some hard-hitting action here on Bright Man. As you know, my name is Johnny C. And on this show, you know, we just talk about whatever bright idea pops into my skull. And this week, it's a doozy. And if you have a skull, you better wear a helmet because it might get concussed because we're talking about the 2001 variant of the XFL. I mean, hey, in all seriousness, I know it's football season. People are getting stoked. Uh, the Bengals are 1-0 and because they beat the Steelers. Maybe. I don't know. Recorded ahead of time. Released after. Danger, Will Robinson. What if I'm wrong? I don't really care. But yeah, guys, I, I really want to talk about the XFL because it fascinates me. You know, I'm not a huge sports guy. I will freely admit to that, okay? But man, you better believe my ass was glued to the XFL because I'm a huge WWF slash Vince McMahon mark back in the day. And I guess still now here in my old age as I am uh, doing a podcast about the XFL, I suppose. But it's such an interesting thing. And look, this, this thing has been covered from a thousand angles by a thousand people who are more intelligent than me, who know more about sports than me, and what have you. So I wanted to find my own reason and my own angle to come at this bad boy. So here's what we've got on the docket today. So, you know, the hype, success, and failure of the XFL, well documented. I'm not really here to talk about all that. I was initially going to watch the opening game on NBC between the Outlaws and the uh, New York, New Jersey Hitmen. Hilarious, by the way, that they had a team named the Hitmen. It's like Vince wanted it to fail and pin it on Brett uh, and blame him for the failure. You ruined it, Brett. You ruined the XFL. But And then I started watching the game, and it was all sort of coming back to me. I've seen this thing a couple times. I feel like people that are curious about the XFL, when they Google it and go to YouTube, they like take a look at the first couple minutes of the first game, and then they move on with their lives, and I don't blame them. However, there are some elements from the first game I want to talk about. So we're going to do another chapter book, if you will. We're going to break this bad boy into chapters. The first chapter, uh, the first two chapters, are going to talk about some relevant and confusing information that I learned before the first kickoff of the XFL proper. And then, afterwards, we're going to deep dive into the game that was broadcast to no one. At the same time the first game was being played. Another game was being taped for broadcast, but the national game, the Outlaws and the Hitmen, went out to all NBC affiliates. This game, however, has been uncovered, and it is available on YouTube in its uh, entirety. And the main reason I want to talk about Game 2 is I'm not going to go with this thing blow by blow. Are you kidding me? Who wants to listen to that? But I do want to watch it, talk about it. Reminisce about any ridiculousness, anything interesting, any great feats of athleticism. But more importantly, folks, I want to talk about the Chicago Enforcers at the Orlando Rage because this game is hosted and features commentary from JR and the King. Oh, yeah, it's basically Monday Night Raw comes to football. Why don't you come along with me on this one as well? Chapter 1. Sports? Entertainment? Question mark? So, the first 
presentation given to us by the XFL is an opening video and an opening credit sequence, kind of like Monday Night Raw. You know, it's it's you know illustrated football players, and then you know a little bit of preseason practice footage. It's it's just you know, and I'm kind of coming at this from the angle as as a wrestling fan, obviously, but this is just a a WWF created opening video package. The Rock cuts the promo on the big screen in Vegas. It's broadcast to the masses. Ironic, uh, because now he owns the entire damn thing. And this, of course, has been documented. Good move, bad move. I, I don't really know if it's a good move or a bad move. It's the move they made. And we get Pyro. I mean, folks, we've got an entrance area and a stage. Well, it's not a stage, but we've got player and team entrances by the end zone. We've got like a, a something draped over it. Like, I mean, this is just wrestling, right? I mean, this is what the WWF production team knew how to do. Now, I know that NBC's floating the bill to produce this bad boy, and it's a production of NBC Sports, but this is a World Wrestling Federation presentation. Of course, I'm super into it because I'm a wrestling fan and I'm comfortable with this. However, what have you just done? You've, a- you've made your audience ask the question that is the title of this chapter. Is this fucking sports or entertainment? Now, deeper philosophical question. Are sports entertainment? Yes. Yes, they are. However, there's a big difference. Watch, even though the games this weekend or last weekend were opening day or opening weekend, there might be a nice little welcome to the NFL on NBC or CBS. I don't even fucking know where it is anymore. That's not the point. There might be a cute little video package. But the game opens up, they'll flash the names of the teams across the screen, the location, maybe the temperature, and then we're just into this thing talking about injuries and and shit like that and potential play calls. I mean, this is not, it's presented as just kind of like news in a way. And I'm not talking about um, editorial news, I'm just talking about real news. It's it's spoken of in a factual way, Um, not a lot of hyperbole, it's just... Here are our teams, and this is what they're capable of. Uh, these are good players. I mean, it's just it's a different feel. All right. Now, of course, Vince McMahon, because he's Vince McMahon, can't let this thing start without you know giving himself uh, a, a bit of a reach around here on a national television broadcast. Half of me understands this. Look what you've accomplished. The other half of me is like Vince. Brand identity confusion right away. We welcome you to our brand of football. Vince, who is our? Who are you? You're, look, I'm not trying to sound like a fake-ass marketing guy, but who are you producing this for? Welcome you to our game. Who Again, who are you? I know you're the XFL. I know you're hard-hitting in smash-mouth football. You're a sense... You're a bunch of buzzwords, Vince. Identify what you are actually presenting. We invite you to enjoy the all-access pass that gives you freedom to go where other leagues deem off-limits. Right here in Las Vegas. Jesus, now you're just getting the cheap local town pop, Vince? I mean, Foley's proud. And don't get me wrong. There is a part of me that is very proud of this and is super enjoying it because it's 
it's wrestling presented it's football presented as sports entertainment slash wrestling all right we simply say thank you for the privilege of competing for you tonight add in your house to that sentence at the very end and it sounds like anything he's ever said on commentary as the lead broadcaster and I know I have an entire fucking show called Concrete Man about making fun of every time Vince yells in your house. But seriously, do it. I'm going to read it again. We simply say thank you for the privilege of competing for you tonight. I didn't say it, but you heard it. So there you go. Point proven. This is the axe. And he does the whole thing. And then more pyro goes off. And the announcer guy is like, and now, introducing your teams. Like, it's just, and, and again, I want to make it very clear. I'm okay with this, but Vince, what are you presenting? Sports or entertainment? And that's not like the sole reason that this thing doesn't work okay, but as I'm watching this presentation, it's clear to me that they're not sure what their audience wants because they don't know what the audience is. And I know it's the first show and you can kind of excuse that, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know if the ratings were were so high in the first week because casual sports viewers were really interested or you just got the entire fucking wrestling audience. I don't really know. And I don't know that anyone knows. All I know is, if I'm not mistaken, I read somewhere that the last XFL game of the regular season is like the lowest rated program that NBC's ever run on a national basis. Not exactly a stat you want to hold on to. Oh, well. I'm confused, but the presentation moves forward. Chapter 2. Freedom isn't free. Our commentary team is Matt uh, Vasquezera. You know what? It's Matt V. How are you, buddy? I am so, I don't want to butcher his last name, and that's not even the point. Because the point is who's next to him. Jesse the Body Ventura Monsoon. Of course, the wrestling part of me stoked as shit. The sports fan in me, I don't know. It's Jesse Ventura. He's that guy from Predator, I guess. And and Jesse's presentation and shtick here and the information he's going to give us is the entire focus of this chapter. And it's it's mind-boggling information to me. And again, confuses me about who the audience is for this. Okay? Because I feel like off the top of my noggin, Vince is really trying to tap into that white collar or excuse me white collar blue collar audience that's that you know what I like football but damn it there's too many whistles and and those fucking pussies you can't even tackle anymore I mean why can't I just hit a guy and then kick him in the dick well not so much that far but they really want to get that person in middle America that's a blue collar worker and there's nothing wrong with those people and I'm not saying anything bad about it but I but I also feel like that's kind of how Vince views it as well you get home from the factory and you're tired and your wife won't have sex with you well the XFL is on so grab yourself a beer call your buddies cook some meat and watch some football And I honestly think that that's how Vince thinks that normal people act. But Jesse's presentation here is what gives a little bit more credence to my belief structure in that. 
Jesse gives us some very quotable words to live by, all right? This is this is his view of the XFL, and this is why he's excited. <clears throat> Let me talk about the players and the sacrifices they've had to make to play the game that they love. Many of them left jobs, they left loved ones, and they put it all on the line because practice started back in November. They got paid not one nickel to go through these practices to arrive here tonight. Now, tonight, they will get paid. This is fucking mind-boggling to me if you believe the fact that Vince's audience is who we just spoke about. Because it seems here like Vince, or excuse me, Jesse, is attempting to garner sympathy for these players. All right? Secondly, it feels like he's trying to tap into the concept of the American dream, not Dusty Rhodes. The old blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, anything is possible if you do what it takes. And that's fine. And it seems to align with Jesse's politics. But it also seems to not gel with Jesse's politics or the politics of the individuals that I feel like Vince is trying to reach. Because these don't seem like the type of people that would assume it's okay or that would encourage someone to give it all up and follow your dreams. Because that's what these XFL players did. They're not pussies like those NFL players. They gave it all up to follow a dream. Okay, now I'm going to show up and be like, Dad, I want to give it all up and follow my dreams and try to be a professional dancer. All right. Well, what the hell are you doing that for? You want to dance? Come on, get a real job. I can get you on the line down at the factory next week. Again, this is all very broad, like bad sitcom type shit. Okay, but at the same time, This is how Vince thinks about us, or some of us, all right? And and I just don't feel like the people that want this smash-mouth, hard-nosed football are the dreamer type. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, and I'm completely off-base here, but it feels wrong. It seems like if I went to old Governor Ventura and said that I was going to, you know, give it all up and try to go make it as a professional dancer, he'd be like, well, great. While you're out there tap dancing, my taxes are going to pay for your kids to eat. I feel like Jesse and his ilk are going to be okay with me going to become a dancer as long as I've got plenty of money in the bank to make sure that uh, they don't have to pay for my dreams and aspirations to come true. And speaking of getting paid, I mean... This whole thing is so strange when you think about all of the aspects that are wrapped up into this fucker. You know, uh, the politics of Jesse and Vince and those ilk would seem to dictate you don't do anything without getting paid, Monsoon. Following a, no, following a dream for no pay seems awfully liberal. And again, if you believe in Vince's sales pitch, you believe in Jesse's politics and what he actually believes, why is he up here pontificating, giving it all up to follow your dreams? And I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to analyze what what viewing audience are you trying to reach? Who are you trying to inspire to watch this fucking program? I don't know. 
Uh, before we talk about pay, though, before Jesse blows my mind with the pay scale and the structure of how these great athletes who gave it all up to follow a dream are going to make their hard-earned American living monsoon, uh, let's talk about some of the things that happen in the broadcast. Uh, future and former Raw General Manager Mike Adamley introduces the XFL's Director of Competition. I suppose that's to ensure that no monopolies take place. It's WrestleMania 2's Dick Butkiss, and he lets us know that there won't be a coin toss in the XFL. No way, Jose. That's literally what he says. On the flip side, Dick Butkiss and Jesse Ventura are desperately trying to make sure that Jose gets himself a job. Uh, I don't want you cost tossing any coins, Jose. You need to get yourself a job and a social security number if you want to play in the XFL. Uh, they have the scramble. Las Vegas historically wins the scramble. The cheerleaders dance. And then we cut to the back to watch the coaches cut promos. Again, like it's professional wrestling, confusing your audience. Now, this is supposed to be part of the XFL's big all-access. And I don't know if this thing didn't take place back in the day, but I see this shit in sports all the time. Granted, the individuals are absolutely aware that the cameras are rolling and they're being recorded for a national television sports-based audience. So, I don't know. These coaches aren't in here like, we're going to fuck them up, we're going to go hunting for their children and leave them for dinner, or whatever it is they say in the program before they say, break! Now, I've only seen, I haven't seen that movie in years. Uh, anywho, I'm getting away and sidetracked. What I really want to talk about is the money. I guess I'm a student of the Ted DiBiase School of Business. But... It's the last part of our analysis of the politics of the XFL and how I'm just blown away by this entire thing. And then we'll just get into the fun and talk about JR and the King. Chapter 3. Everybody's got a price. So it's the pay scale involved with the XFL and how we earn our living. So all those hardcore... Uh, footballers who are smash mouth and gave it all up to follow their dreams so they can earn some money here in the XFL and feed their family. Uh, we're not going to pay them enough to live off of. And also, you're getting absolutely zero benefits, no health care, nothing like that. And don't you forget that you dreamers here in the XFL that lose, you don't get a goddamn extra red American cent. Now, I'm not the type of guy that thinks everybody gets a trophy. By definition alone, games have a winner and a loser. And that's part of fucking life. But these guys are not getting compensated properly from the get-go. There's not like... It's not like there's an XFLPA, okay? And those, those organizations exist for a very specific reason. So, let's break down the pay scale for these athletes. These professional athletes. Alright? Quarterbacks, $5,000 a game. Others, which is what they're called, get four point five a game. Kickers, <laughs> kickers, <laughs> we even have to pay them? They get three point five a game. Each player gets an extra $2,500 when you win, and if you win a playoff game, you get an extra $7,500. The league champions... The million-dollar game. The million dollars is divided after taxes, I presume, amongst the entire fucking team. And you know what? What a fucking insult. All right? Two seconds left in the game. 
tied. Your kicker comes in, kicks a 50-yard field goal, something very difficult to accomplish that only a limited set of people that are alive on this planet can do. You get an extra 2500 per person. But that kicker that won you the game, that's responsible for everyone's bonus, is not worth the rest as everyone else. I could see the argument between quarterbacks and quote-unquote other, and it's only $500. But there is a $1,000 difference between others and kickers. That is kind of a kick in the dick. And I'm sure someone could come at me and be like, well, here's a list of NFL salaries, and regardless of how high they are or astronomical they are, the lowest 100 people or whatever, I don't know, 25 people in the game are all kickers. And then, of course, the rookie kickers in the league make the least amount or whatever. But come on, man. In this league, you get paid to win. Your kicker wins you the game. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to make sense. It's like they weren't, they aren't worth... The kicker comes in and wins the game for the entire team. Everybody gets a bonus. They're not worth what the second-string defensive tackle that didn't play a, a, a down is worth. That's that's where the disconnect comes in, in my mind. So, let's say you're a defensive back in the XFL for my favorite team. Because, yes, I got conned into picking a favorite team and everything when I was a youngster. Well, I was fucking 18. The Memphis Maniacs. You see, they were cool because Maniacs ended in an X. I stand by that biz being cool. So, the Memphis Maniacs in the inaugural slash only original XFL season, went 5-5. Five and five. They're, a per- they're not only a great example because they're my favorite team, I guess, but, uh, you know, even 500. So if you're a defensive back, you're not a quarterback, you're not a kicker, based on bonuses, this season you earned $57,500. In 2001, the NFL league minimum was $440,000 per year. Now, I know this isn't the NFL, all right? Put your tweets down. I just want to compare. In 2001, your average salary for your average American worker is $31,581. And these professional athletes that are following the dreams and gave it all up, they gave up their health care to follow a dream, make $57,500. Uh, just side note, can I go back in time, please? I'm absolutely no one special in this world, all right? And that includes salary-wise. Like, I I, I work, I work, I work. It is what it is. But I want to go back to 2001 because I'd be some sort of, like, Kang the Conqueror, all right, based on, you know, those numbers. Uh, It's just mind-boggling. Now, today, the average salary is $63,214. Inflation puts your average 2001 salary at 52862 So that's a little more apples to apples. 52K versus 63K. Inflation puts your Memphis Maniacs player at 96K. Okay. Uh, but still, that's that's what people get, you know, to, to work in an office for a year. You know, and they get health care and all that shit. 401K options. All the, all the shit that comes with your package of compensation. All right? Not to mention incentives and bonuses on top of that. That's your salary on paper. 
The NFL league minimum this year is $660,000 as well. And then, <clears throat> if you want to take all that away from it, let's not forget about what I'm sure are the amazing accommodations that were afforded the XFL roster. Now, I don't know anything about where these folks rested their head on game weekends or how they got to where they needed to go, but in my head, I'm picturing less elaborate, any given Sunday style uh, type accommodations, and I'm thinking more of Major League when the Cleveland Guardians were uh, uh, literally put together to lose their season to be the worst team in baseball history. You know, uh, Virginia Phelps, she takes away the plane and gives them the Cleveland plane, and then she takes away the, the little uh, propeller plane and gives them the bus. I mean, I'm thinking that's what the XFL traveling from town to town is like in my head. Or, if you want to compare it to a different film, I'm thinking the NFL uh, is Ivan Drago in the Soviet Union training for his big bout, and the XFL is kind of more like Rocky, out there climbing the mountains in Siberia, just trying to stay warm. But it's just, it just goes back to the like the fact that Jesse's like proud of giving us the pay scale. Look at these hard-working Americans. Well, they are working hard, and they may or may not be uh, Americans in, in their nature. I, that's irrelevant. But the point is, these players are completely just disposable bodies. Now, I guess you could maybe say that about some. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely off the rails here. But these numbers, these things are nothing to be proud of. And I'm not proud of it. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I wanted to... Maybe I've got some sort of an agenda or an angle. But I wanted to throw shade at them. Usually I'm on here, I'm like, no, I'm not trying to throw shade. I am trying to throw shade at the XFL. And you know what? I'm glad it failed. Because they didn't deserve to succeed, given this information, in my opinion. But, enough of the sour, dour shit. Let's move on to the Chicago Enforcers versus the Orlando Rage. I guess you could say maybe I was quarterbacking for the Orlando Rage here in these uh, first chapters. But, oh well, I'm moving on myself. Chapter 4. Symbolism. Alright, so what I have here for you folks in Orlando, that being the home of the Rage, are some specially curated segments of the game that I picked out after painstakingly watching the broadcast. Now, I'm going to present them to you in sequential order, and you know, if we have some sort of large time jump or a big change in score or anything like that, I'll set the scene for you. I mean, I'm happy to do that because I want you to be able to follow along because, after all, we want this to be entertaining. So let's start at the start. Then take it away. The name is Simpson, Bartholomew J. I could sing the whole song, but I'm going to stop. Folks, we are live in Orlando, and the camera is up in the booth with JR and the King. They are wearing XFL coats. JR, of course, has on that big cowboy hat. Uh, Jerry Lawler, though, no crown, and I'm disappointed. Uh, folks, history will be made here tonight in Orlando. We're going to have a hell of a good time tonight, and we're going to tell you some stories, and we're glad that you're with us. Let's send it down to the coach. And I thought we were going to fucking hear from one of the coaches. But no, Jonathan Coachman is indeed here doing sideline reporting. It's time for the scramble. Chicago enforcers for the scramble send out a guy whose number is 21. His last name is also Sanders. This guy fucking wishes, right? Uh, he does win the scramble 
at least. And oh my god, the rage is down! The rage is down! Uh, King, we've sustained our first injury of the night, King, uh, on the scramble. The Orlando player is down. I've never seen anyone injured on a coin toss, JR! Uh, that is correct, King. You never have, and you fucking shouldn't. Because <laughs> it's a goddamn coin toss. Man, and these are, when I do the voices, folks, I want you to know these are all direct quotes, all right? Uh, man, if, if this doesn't make headlines, nothing will. He's just fucking doing my job for me, JR. Uh, the king on the replay, when he's trying to analyze what has happened during this scramble-related injury, he calls the combatants the Chicago player and the rage player. Like, <laughs> you didn't even get the fucking names of the players who are doing the scramble. In the background, while the uh, the uh, medical team is checking out this injured Rage player, whose name I didn't get either, so fuck it, what's that tell you about me? Uh, the XFL theme is just playing throughout the stadium on the stadium speakers, and it sounds so much like the Brawl for All theme that that's what I thought they were playing. I was like, let's see, there's an injury on my television screen. The Brawl for All theme does sort of fit the mood if you if you are indeed a wrestling fan. Well, that's sort of a bizarre way to start things. Could it be a sign of things to come? <laughs> Could it be a sign of things to come? Yes, Jim. Yes, it can. Uh, JR hypes the coaches. He calls them impressive. And then, folks, <laughs> much like in the Robert Rodriguez film, The Faculty, we've got live pyrotechnics during a football game. Because there is a Raw is War style pyro display that happens in the end zone at the kickoff. I'm blown away by this. Um, when talking about the Chicago coach, Jim Ross has himself a little bit of a Freudian slip. Uh, I can promise you his athletes at SMU made more money. I, I mean, aren't making as much money as these XFL athletes. <laughs> Because everybody knows that Shaq didn't get rich in the NBA. He got rich in college. Uh, they are here for the love of the game. And it's a bowl game or a playoff game type atmosphere and we're here in Orlando, King. The King's all like, oh, JR, these kickoffs are really unique. Indeed, they are unique because they come loaded with pyro. The kickoff happens, the return is moot and uneventful, and the XFL is officially underway in Orlando. Chapter 5, Trivia Night. Let's pick up with Chicago's opening drive, because after all, they won the scramble. And we'll just sort of get an ebbs and flows of how the XFL starts in this presentation. Uh, Tim Lester is a six-footer. He's a quarterback for the Chicago Enforcers, I guess. And we get to hear the play calling. That's sort of fun. Sort of. Second play of the game, false start. We hear the refs talking about the uh, penalty that's been called. And the referees are also mic'd up. We hear them say, hey, there was a first down on that last play and we never signaled for the chains to move. <laughs> Folks, when you present entertainment to a mass audience, there are some things you don't want individuals to hear. Perhaps microphones on everyone wasn't a good idea on week one. Um, King says, maybe we should penalize the refs. All right, here we go. Finally, finally time for some football. False start. Uh, first night jitters here, King. 
Play stalls, yet again, when a whistle blows. JR, the king, wonder who's responsible for the rule infraction. Turns out, it's the guy working the scoreboard. Because one clock says 13 minutes and 54 seconds left in the game. The other reads 19 minutes and 54 seconds left in the game. The camera goes out of its way to show us both scoreboards. So the you know JR's words can be confirmed. When they show the one that says 1354, the king's all like, that's the one that's right. <laughs> we then cut to the 1954 and king lets us know, that's the one that's wrong. <laughs> Smash mouth football, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here we go. Next play. Chicago Enforcers making history. All right, here we go. Flag on the play. Oh, my God. Uh, someone needs to let Chicago that they should be enforcing the rules amongst their own players. Just a couple of notes, uh, because we've got a lot of start and stop here. I'm not very entertained by the football action, but the presentation is also shitty as well. Of course, we talked about the scoreboards and the referees not knowing how to fuck to run a football game. Uh, But the TV signal, the cameras, very spotty. A lot of interference, especially when they switch to the cameras that are on the field. The audio reminds me of Randy Orton's theme song. Well, why is that, you might ask? Well, I'll tell you. Because I hear voices in my head. I hear coaches, offensive coordinators, players, referees, JR, the king. My ADD is absolutely all over the place, and I need to take a nap. Chicago, third down, they fail. Or, uh, nothing doing on that play, king. It's time for the punt. Chicago punts. It is caught by the Orlando Rage. Flag on the play. Shocker. Uh, It's a violation of what J.R. calls that stone cold protection rule. Uh, Apparently, there is a five-yard halo of protection. Kind of like in Final Fantasy when you summon or cast the spell barrier. Or, to a lesser extent, magic barrier. Or to a greater extent, wall. You are protected in a five-yard radius from oncoming traffic. Uh, A five-yard halo, if you will. The penalty is declined. And here we go with the opening drive of the Ragesters, the Orlando Rage. Uh, 24 Sting Yankee is the call. We get a whistle. A penalty before the snap? No. The referees, mic'd up by the way, are arguing about the halo penalty. One of the referees think that the penalty should just be tacked on from the spot of the foul. So if the receiver caught the ball uh, and got tackled, they should just give him an extra five on the return. Head referee in charge, not Mills Lane, Joey Morella, Earl Hebner, Randy Anderson, uh, Mark Curtis, or anybody else, uh, lets us know that it was a spot foul. And the return was greater than five yards, and that's why they declined the penalty. And you know what, folks? I've learned something today. So, today can be done. Uh, 24 Sting Yankee is the call again, even though they've already shown their offensive formation. They go with the same call. Here we go. Ready? Go! Oh my god, the Rage quarterback is back. He's got plenty of time. It's a Hail Mary! Fulbaruski! An annexation of Puerto Rico! No, it's a Hail Mary toss! It's caught by Kevin Swain! 
Kevin Swain, touchdown! Touchdown, my God! It's the first touchdown in XFL history! We get some pyrotechnics. Okay, that's warranted at this point. King, Kevin Swain, uh, he's going to be the answer to a trivia question someday, King. Indeed, rage against the dying of the light, Orlando. This one's for you. Let's go to the extra point from the two-yard line. Uh, no pussy kicking the extra point here in the XFL. All right, the play is called flag. Flag on the play. A false start by the Rageman. Uh, you can actually hear one of the Orlando uh, linemen, the one that was responsible for the infraction. He's like, oh, sorry, I heard the wrong play. I heard the wrong play. And that's why he jumped on the snap count. So we're back to the seven-yard line now after the five-yard penalty. The King predicts a passing play. Orlando Rage calls Deuce Zero, 960-212 angle. And oh my God, did they just call the 212 shoot? Now, folks, if you're not familiar with the 212 shoot, it may be a legitimate football play. However, I know it best from NFL 94 from the Sega Genesis, featuring Joe Montana of the Kansas City Chiefs on the cover and the amazing sports talk announcer. Fumble on the play. The quarterback down. He makes the tackle. Touchdown! Ah, that rudimentary sports announcer voice is perfection, nostalgia, and I want to hang out with that voice for a day or two. Really puts me in the feels. And that ends the rant on Joe Montana Sports Talk Football 93 or NFL 94, as it was known in the following year. Uh, the snap, it is indeed a pass play. It doesn't look like the 212 shoot. The, see, the 212 shoot was the receivers run straight. Then they go diagonal inward. Um, but before the quarterback makes the call, uh, he yells, Rip, rip, go, go, rip, go. So big fan of no holds barred there. The pass, however, is intercepted. JR on the call. Interception! Interception! King yells that Chicago can return it for a single point. So let me get this straight. Running the ball back 98 yards in one play is worth one point. Now, I understand it's worth one point because it's the extra point play. But come on. If your defense is actually able to do this, why not just give them the full six? Fuck, give them ten. It's harder to do than going down the play, uh, going down the field using like 12 or 13 plays in a row with a little break in between and maybe a timeout, uh, a break for some water. Shit. But what do I know about football? Uh, Jonathan Coachman goes to interview the history maker himself, Kevin Swain. Coach asks him how it feels to be a part of XFL history. Mr. Swain says, and I quote, I just want to thank God. That's all. And then he walks away. Thanks the man above stairs asking his gods, is this my time to make XFL history? But he just takes a bunch of deep breaths, meekly thanks the Lord above, and walks away. The coach has a flabbergasted look on his face. He's not used to asking questions to someone, putting a microphone in their face, and having them deliver nothing. Cut a promo, Swain! Jesus Christ, don't you know who you work for? The greatest argument in the history of our sport 
for scripting promos. Later in the first quarter, Chicago still down 6 to nothing. It's time for a 35-yard field goal attempt. During the lineup, or, you know, the part where the teams line up against one another, I hear more voices. Somebody says, what are you doing, man? Man replies, I know, I know. I don't know what it means, but it was worth noting. The kick is up. It's good! But we have a flag on the play. Luckily, the the microphones are still active on the referee crew. So let's hear what happened during the play. We got 75 red personal foul throwing a punch. Okay, good score? Uh, you want to do a CA or what? Dead ball? Nah. No? Carry over. Okay, but yeah, we got a field goal. Take the penalty and go from here? Hold on. Disqualify him. No. Oh, no, it's not a punch. We have the field goal will be good, and we'll take it to the kick, right? Right? (laughs) The refs then decide that the kick is good, and there'll be a 15-yard penalty assessed to the kick. Jim Ross, number 75, that's Sterling Palmer with the punch. Uh, Old Sterling got hot. Like I said, though, confirmed, field goal is good. The points officially added to the XFL scoreboard. Afterwards, Chicago enforcers kicker Andy Croslin. You may know him as the older brother of North-South Connection podcaster and place-to-be podcaster Logan Croslin. Uh, the coach asks him, without being the coachman, uh, there's only one kicker on the squad. You're doing double duty, but looking good so far. Yeah, it's tough doing both, but uh, it keeps you in the game. He then leaves to massive booze. <laughs> oh, that was a babyface promo, guys. But I guess we are deep in rage territory. Immediately after this kick, Chicago with an interception. JR lets us know the interception was made by Corey Ivey. That's a former Oklahoma Sooner. Corey Ivey yells, shut up, after the play. I don't know why, but again, get these guys in promo school. The King warns us that tipped balls are a danger every time. Later, the Chicago Enforcers turn this interception into some points. Chicago quarterback, last name Lester, not Lesnar, even though every time JR yells Lester, it sounds like he's yelling for Brock. Uh, The QB Lester sneaks it in for six. He's only six feet, JR. The defense probably lost track of him. Uh, Well, you always did say that size doesn't matter, King. The point after is good. As the first quarter ends, the score is 10 to 6 in favor of the Enforcers. Chapter 6 The Art of Zen. Second quarter now. Early in the second, Orlando gets six points off a four yard run by Clark. Just a guy whose last name is Clark. If you didn't know that before, though, here's JR on the call. Clark! 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 There is a massive pyrotechnics display for the hometown Ragesters. The point after attempt is no good. On this point after, the king steals from JR and says, Nothing doing there! The rage up 12 to 10. Interesting side note, I learn here that Orlando's kicker is none other than Jake Taylor, former catcher for the Cleveland Guardians team of 1988 and former manager 
1989. I guess his knees got better after all. Later, deep in the second quarter, with only two minutes and 40 seconds remaining, excuse me, uh, Orlando is in scoring position with second and goal. They do a draw right up the middle. The enforcers hold the line. Fuck no! Fuck no! Yells a mic'd up Chicago enforcer. A fellow teammate adds, Nah, nah, you ain't getting in this, bitch! Third down now, still at the two. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones with a fade into the end zone. It's a touchdown! Pyrotechnics everywhere. Jerry the King Lawler notes that Orlando Rage coach Galen Hall is still not smiling, even though his team is up. JR indicates that, well, old Galen may need a laxative. It's time for the point after attempt. No pussy kicks here in the XFL. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones in the huddle calls the play. Zen 014. The quarterback then backs away from the huddle. He looks to the sideline. He asks the coach, What the fuck? What the fuck is that? Brom Bones then calls a timeout. Again, microphones. Good idea? Bad idea? I'll let you be the judge. The score flashes on the screen. And son of a bitch, they do play the Brawl for All theme. I bet you Jim Johnston ain't getting any royalties from the XFL. On the sidelines, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones gets confirmation from the coach. Zen 014, it's a fake reverse. All right. Bones has the call. Let's see how it goes. As Brom Bones heads back out to the huddle, we see some signs in the crowd. One reads, hey, beer guy. Another Orlando Rage is going to open a can of whoop-ass on the enforcers. More crowd coverage, and we see disgraced AinItCoolNews.com founder Harry Knowles is in the crowd. King sees Harry and says, Wow, uh, my mom is here, and I told her to shave, JR. The Orlando Rage, finally out of the huddle, ready to run, Zen Zero 14. It's broken up. Nothing doing on that play, according to JR. And the point after fails. So, after all that, what have we learned about Zen Zero 14? It sucks, allegedly. Orlando Rage up 18-10 to 10 with 1 minute and 55 seconds left in the half. Now, Jonathan Coachman interviews Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones. The announcers, JR and King, have been making some ill claims, saying things like, ah, I don't know if the quarterback agreed with that call, King. It's absolute bullshit because he was mic'd up and Brom Bones just didn't know what the fuck the play was. So Coachman asks, man, it sounds like you guys might have had a disagreement there. But again, thanks to the power of the XFL, that being the smash mouth microphones attached to the quarterback, we are aware of what actually happened. Quarterback Brom Bones says, Uh, Chicago just came in and broke it up. Uh, Wasn't a disagreement at all. It's time for the point after kickoff. And I will admit, guys, Orlando is pretty fucking pumped up here. 
there are 35,000 fans in attendance. As the uh, crowd peaks, the king yells, It's the XFL, baby! Jim Ross responds, It's football with attitude. Taylor now with the kickoff. It's a squib kick. It's returned by Chicago Enforcers tight end, number 84. He's hit, going down after the tackle, but somebody call Kevin O'Shea from O'Shea Chevrolet because we've got Fumbaruski, Fumbaruski, Fumbaruski. It's recovered by Orlando. Rage against the dying of the light, Orlando. All right, let's see what the rage can do here with just a little bit of time left on the clock. First down, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones overthrows the pass intended for Clark. Second down, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones throws it away. Third down now, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones throws it away. Fourth down now, on the sidelines, constipated Orlando Rage coach Galen Hall asks Cleveland star turned kicker Jake Taylor if he wants to punt or go for three. Jake, feeling the power of Orlando in his foot, declares, we gotta go out there and win the whole fucking thing. Jake Taylor now, in for the kick. It's good! He's made the right call and earns every penny of his $3.5,000 with a successful field goal. After the points, the King says, Coach Galen almost smiled. JR, well, I think he may have just smelled a hot dog. Strange moment, we're treated to a graphic of an XFL football helmet. Across the helmet reads some text. The text indicates, moments later, Chicago scores a touchdown before halftime. We get a quick five-second replay of the Chicago touchdown, and it's halftime. The score flashes on the screen. Orlando Rage, 21. Chicago Enforcers, 16. Afterwards, a second graphic appears on the screen and informs us that, unfortunately, Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. Chapter 7. Muddy Days. Third quarter now here in the XFL's opening night, the unbroadcast game. It's the third quarter and just about 10 minutes remain. Orlando now has possession of the football after the enforcers were forced to punt out of their own end zone. Rage quarterback Brom Bones leads the offensive contingent of Ragesters into battle. First down, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones. Back to pass. The ball is tipped, and the play is dead. The Florida skies begin to betray their hometown heroes as the clouds open up and rain begins to blanket the field. The Hey Beer Guy fan gets a little bit more screen time as the king mentions, Hey, we need some beer! Orlando Rage coach makes the call. H-0-60 speed war is the play call. Second down now, Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones now in the shotgun position. Throws the pass. Touchdown! It's a 30-yard completion! 
the pyro ignites as Jim Ross informs us that Dalio Burks, Elijah's older brother, made the touchdown catch. It's now time for the attempt of the point after touchdown. 0-960-919 post on one is the call. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones looking to repeat his earlier success with the fade to the end zone. Pass is broken up as a defensive back for Chicago enforces the law and smacks the ball down to the ground. Afterwards, the coach interviews Mr. Burke about his first XFL touchdown. It's very exciting, and I hope for many more to come. Well, hey, I'm with you, Burke. I, too, am always hoping that everyone gets to come. Speaking of which, the cameraman finds the Orlando Rage cheer squad posing for a picture amidst the rain. Uh, a cheerleaders, a little wet here, King. A little shower here in Orlando where the Rage lead 27-16 to 16 over Chicago. Ah, I hope it rains harder. I want to see mud in these players' noses and their mouths. And I want to see... Ah, I want to see the cheerleaders with wet t-shirts. Well, the cheerleaders are happy now. But only moments later, on the first play of the next drive... Chicago Enforcers quarterback Lester, not Lesnar, with a pass to Avery. And he takes it 64 yards down the field for an immediate response of six quick points. It should be noted that even though there is no danger present near the end zone, Chicago Enforcers receiver Avery unnecessarily dives into the end zone and pops up with a dance move that's eerily reminiscent of Das Wunderkid, Alex Wright. Anywho, the point after touchdown fails. And as the third quarter here in the XFL fades into history, the Orlando Rage still up with a score of 27-22. to 22. Chapter 8 Hat condoms. It's the fourth quarter. Seven minutes and 21 seconds remain. The Orlando Rage cheerleaders dance for the television cameras. However, there is no music playing on the audio channels. It appears then to mine eyes that these ladies have officially given up on life and have accepted their roles as XFL property. The camera pans to the left. Uh, we're back, King. What just happened here during the break? Well, I got a 15-yard penalty for roughing the cheerleaders. Woohoo! I would like to note that Jim Ross has a rain poncho for his cowboy hat. Now, I'm sure he has his reasons for this. Perhaps it's some sort of a John Wayne original. Maybe the material just isn't meant to get wet. Although I'm not sure what respectable cowboy would mind a little rain on their hat out on the plains. Perhaps more importantly, this image has forever etched into my brain uh, a concept or theory about Jim Ross that I do indeed uh, find quite humorous. So, picture this. It's a neighborhood in any town, USA. The camera pans in on a decent mid-sized home into the bedroom window, and uh, uh, Jim Ross sleeps soundly in his bed. The alarm 
blares off, and that one song happens to play. You know the one. It's the song they play in every movie or TV show where they want to show that characters are waking up after what was perhaps a hard day, a long day, or maybe an all-night bender, and the house is destroyed and people are disheveled and sleeping in uh, positions they normally wouldn't. That one song, It's a beautiful morning. So I'm hearing that song, and I'm picturing Jim Ross sitting up and getting up out of bed. He walks into the kitchen fully nude. But, you know, I picture this more as a PG-13 type deal, and all we really see are his ass cheeks jiggle as he walks into the kitchen. He grabs his hat off a stake on the wall, and of course he puts it on, as one's to do first thing in the morning. He walks over to the coffee machine, where a fresh pot is ready made. Now remember, the song is still playing in the background, so we know it's not actually a beautiful morning. The gag, of course, would normally be something like Jim Ross looking at a cup, looking at the pot of coffee, back at the cup, and then grabbing the pot of coffee and just chugging it, because, you know, it's not a beautiful morning. My JR would do all of that, but instead of chugging the pot right away, he instead grabs a bottle of whiskey, and he pours himself a shot, shoots it back, then grabs the pot of coffee and chugs. He walks into the bathroom, still in the background. It's a beautiful morning. He turns on the shower, lets it warm up, brushes his teeth with a little barbecue sauce. Then he steps into the shower, hat still on. He quickly notices his mistake and looks at the camera like, oh man, what a morning. Of course, he doesn't take off the cowboy hat. He reaches over on the wall where we see a little machine that dispenses shower caps. He opens one up and covers the hat. Shakes his head like, geez, I can't believe I forgot something so rudimentary. After all, I never forget to cap my hat as I wear it each morning when I shower. He closes the curtain and continues his shower, ready for whatever the day will bring him. And all of that from just a half-second little clip of Jim Ross wearing a cowboy hat poncho, opening night for the XFL. Chicago Enforcers ball, they run a draw play, but oh no, it's another Fubaruski! The Enforcers recover their blunder, but their offense is indeed struggling here in the fourth. The coach makes a call. E4879 is the play call. According to Chicago Enforcers quarterback Lester, not Lesnar. The play begins. Lester, not Lesnar, drops back. He slips. He recovers. He throws. Intercepted! Intercepted! Sean Banks! Sean Banks! Oh, big time play by Sean Banks! The Rage do indeed now have possession. Although I'm not quite sure who grabbed the interception, that data may indeed just might just be lost to history. First and ten for the Orlando Rage, dangerously close to the end zone. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones sends a wide receiver on the left side in motion by doing his little shimmy. It makes the women here in Orlando puke. Hike! Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones drops back. He's looking. Plenty of time. Still looking. Checking his watch. Still time. He begins to knit a sweater. He sees a man open. He throws. And it's caught! 
Touchdown! 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 The pyro lights the sky, and Elijah Burke's big brother picks up another one. Orlando attempts the point after. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones hands it off to that big stud Clark, according to Jim Ross. That big stud Clark is instantly tackled, and the conversion fails. Rage up 33-22 as the clock ticks. Chapter 9. Well, you know, time is a social construct, McMahon. The Chicago Enforcers would score another touchdown and convert the point-after attempt, making the score 33-29 in favor of Orlando. Let's warp ahead to the closing moments. Orlando does indeed have possession with just one minute left in the game. The classic run the ball and the clock at the same time strategy has been implemented by the Ragesters. It's been successful, and now only eight seconds remains. Fourth and four. Orlando Rage quarterback Brom Bones on the line. Hike! The ball handed off in the backfield. The seconds ticking. A tackle. A gain of three. That was fourth fucking down, baby! Yells a mic'd up Chicago enforcer. The clock has one second remaining. However, the pyrotechnics at Orlando Rage Stadium begin to unload. The Orlando Rage crowd erupts with thunderous applause. Opening night in the XFL has ended. And in hometown Orlando Rage victory, the pyro finishes Jim Ross on the call. Uh, I think we got a second left in this ball game, King. We got premature pyrotechnics, JR. Ah! The boys are indeed correct. Chicago has one second left. One chance for immortal uh, victory. All on the shoulders of Lester, not Lesnar. Here we go. He hikes. He falls back into the shotgun formation. He throws. The ball hovers in air. Practically in slow motion as the gladiators of the gridiron reach for immortality. It's intercepted. And now we can clear the field. The players do. They rush off. Hardly any celebration to be had as they search for the nearest XFL official. Hoping to finally collect a living wage to send to their families. As we end our scene... Orlando 33, Chicago 29. And I will tell you what, Aqualads and Aqualasses, that is going to close the book on our XFL coverage. It certainly was a sight to behold. And you know, I hope you've enjoyed the unique prism uh, that I tried to use uh, to view this uh, truly standout athletic event that lives in uh, 
immortality, I guess? I don't know. It, it certainly was something to behold. It was a decent amount of fun for me to watch an entire two hours of XFL football to cut it down to the highlights for you. But it was fun, and I hope you enjoyed yourself along the way. Remember to subscribe to the Aqua Cave. That way you get notified whenever more content drops. Always remember that I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you. Such a caress is each new waking.